All right, let's do this. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. This is Dr. Hillary, and I am in quarantine, probably like the rest of you. Uh, we are, I have been in shelter in place for the last week. I have actually not even been to town since March 24th, um, which I have to say, I'm not too disappointed with. I am financially, as it's hard to go to work. Um, I can't work as much from home as I can in the office, but being home for the last week has been kind of nice. And so, um, yeah, it's also been a little strange to think about what is happening right now in the world and the progression of this COVID-19 virus, that pandemic that's spreading. Um, before we get into our topic today, so today I'm going to talk about one of the pillars of health, uh, a diet. And I'm going to talk about one very strategic piece of diet that I think is really important uh, for longevity, as well as a number of this different symptoms, but we'll get into that in a second. So just a little bit of COVID update. Um, in Montana, there have been a little over 200 diagnosed cases where we are. A lot of them are actually in the county that we live in, Gallatin County. Um, and so the town that we live in, Bozeman, has pretty much become a ghost town. Um, everybody is in shelter in place in this county and it's statewide as well. But um, we have had that. We've had a couple deaths. Um, I think we had one death from somebody who was trying to take a prophylactic fish tank cleaner, um, thinking that it was chloroquine, like the anti-malarial drug that's possibly helping. So, yeah, people don't take that stuff. It's not healthy for you. Um, but currently, as far as the United States goes, um, we're not horrible. Washington State um, is pretty much in lockdown until May 4th was the last thing that we heard. Um, I know that New York, I think one out of every four cases in the United States may be in New York City, um, the state of New York. Um, Illinois is quite high as well as Connecticut and surrounding uh, states, I think, from New York, California, too. But um, it's quite quite an event that's going on in our life. And I think that the first, the podcast that I did on stress and fear, if you haven't already listened to that, go back and listen to that. Just kind of setting up uh, what, well, gosh, a week ago when I recorded that, where we were and trying to help people understand that perceived stress is, is, is a huge piece of, um, something is actually something that we have great control over, um, even though it can seem really hard in times like this. Uh, yesterday I was on a call. Well, I was on with thousands of other people in the state, but I listened to the governor, uh, or the Senator, one of our senators from Montana, uh, telling us what's going on in the state. And he had said that 45,000 people in Montana alone have applied for unemployment. There's 10 million, probably more now, in the United States unemployed. So we went from one of the best economies we've had in a very long time to pretty much a depression overnight, um, if you want to put it that way. So a lot of us are stressed out about money. A lot of us are stressed about how we're going to pay our bills and um, how we're going to move forward from this and how long we're going to be in quarantine and what are the rules and what are the regulations. So a lot of people in our community um, are taking huge hits in this time. Um, most of the small businesses in Bozeman are shut down, and I feel bad for those people and across the country. Um, small businesses who who rely on, uh, who are service-oriented industries and rely on us coming in and eating and doing all that. So I know a lot of them are doing takeout, pickup, that kind of thing. So if you are still eating out, I encourage that you support those businesses. Um, there are a lot of financial things coming down the pipeline, like the SBA is giving unprecedented amount of loans, very low interest rates, um, payroll protection plan, which you can roll into that to pay, possibly pay your payroll. Um, and get those loans forgiven uh, so you can keep your employees. Uh, there's like, you know, 
your bank, your mortgage company, all these allowing people to uh, defer their payments and um, unemployment at a record rate. And then, of course, we have the stimulus package, which includes all these things, but, um, or is it a stimulus package? <laughs> How about the trauma package that Trump passed and, and uh uh, the government passed so that we could all get stimulus checks, they call it, but uh, for each household. If you do make over $100,000, I think, as an individual and closer to $200,000 as a, as a couple, you don't get that money. Um, and, yeah, so a lot of stuff going on. I'm sure everybody understands about it, but uh, the stress of this and the fear I believe the fear of what's what's going to happen next, what's going on, is probably even bigger. So in that first podcast, I talk about that a little bit. It's really important right now. I think right now is such a great opportunity for those of us who are home um, to start taking control of some of these aspects in our lives, or maybe in the past we've been too busy, or we didn't have time, or we just weren't able to focus on, on them as much. And um, I think it's showing us that we can do a lot, for one, without maybe spending a lot of money, um, without a ton of resources, uh, like exercise, for say. You know, people are working from home now, and you realize you really don't need to go to a fancy gym and use all their equipment. You can do a lot of stuff without that. So people are learning that. Um, but this is a great time to... Start thinking about your food and cooking and doing that with your kids and um, what kind of foods are you enjoying and cooking and maybe cleaning up your diet a little bit as well. Uh, maybe not eating as much. I notice when we're home during the day, we have a nice good breakfast, all of us together. And then we might have a couple snacks during the day and then we have a dinner together at night. Um, we're not eating a ton um, and so... Because we also know like our grocery bill now, like we, we, we're not just having the freedom to go to the grocery store as much now. So we're not eating as much, but it's that quality of food that you're eating. Um, we're definitely sleeping more. Oh my gosh. Like sleeping until you want to get up, which for me, I don't know. My body kind of naturally wants to get up between six and seven, but when I'm working and the kids got to be on the school bus and everything, sometimes you get to bed late and then you got to get up early. It's just nice to have this this like reset. So that's how I encourage you, even though it is a very stressful time and none of us know what's going to happen. And honestly, I don't even feel like a lot of us know what's even going on. And in the medical space, there's just tons of stuff going on. Like today I watched a webinar um, on some natural therapies for it and some ideas and thoughts about why is it affecting older people versus younger people. Um, and so that was really entertaining and I'll probably share some of that information with you as well. But, uh, um, this is just a good time to do that check-in and to that, to do that reset and, and maybe rest up and work out more and, um, clean up your diet and gosh, you're getting to spend great time with your family and your kids. And I know a lot of you are probably going stir crazy. Um, my older daughter is really getting into like makeup and all this stuff so the last two days I've had my makeup done a couple of times sometimes too much <laughs> she did my four-year-old's makeup which was definitely too much but we're trying to do things you know art and uh, we take walks every day and uh my daughter's done a ton of DIY projects so I know that everybody kind of wants to go back to regular life but I think this is a good time to soak all this in People who I feel bad for, like seniors, you know, my best friend's daughter's a senior in high school and she's missing her prom and she's missing her softball and she's missing graduation. It's really kind of sad for those kids, kind of that next stage of their life and possibly even college kids who are graduating. Um, as we know, when they canceled like the NCAA basketball tournament, they've now canceled the Olympics till next year. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that have worked really hard to get to this year. And, yeah, it'll definitely go down in history as one of the strangest uh, phenomenons that we've had that I ever remember. So, anyways, so that being said, 
Let's talk a little bit about um, one of the pillars that I like to talk about, and that's diet. And what I'd like to talk about today is protein. Um, I think that it's kind of a common sense thing that we know that we all eat way too many carbohydrates in this society uh, and that we are not moving enough. Therefore, all this carbohydrate is really not good for our brains or our bodies. Uh, the carbohydrates that, carbohydrates that we typically choose to eat are sugary, simple carbohydrates that um, turn into glucose quite rapidly. They go into the bloodstream quite rapidly. They create highs and lows uh, because we're not moving enough and doing enough activity typically throughout our day. Uh, eating foods like that can be stored and then, you know, weight gain, etc. Um, we call that glycemic control or dysglycemia, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, all those very key words that you've heard a million times probably. But um, a lot of that comes from the overconsumption of simple carbohydrate sugars and alcohols, which we are consuming an alarming rate these days compared to how we used to. Um, but I think one of the kind of overlooked aspects of how to help yourself keep your carb uh, addiction or cravings down is to make sure that you're eating enough protein. The other thing, and of course, good fats. Um, the other thing with that is that protein can turn into some carbohydrate. So again, moderation of protein is important because if you're eating a lot of carbs and you're eating too much protein, you're going to convert some of that protein into carbohydrate. So you're going to kind of have the same problem. Um, but what I tend to find in my practice is that most people, especially women, um, but most people as they get older, um, they are not eating enough protein or they're eating enough protein and they're, but their source is not good with protein or they're eating protein and they may be eating a great source, but their guts are a mess. And so they're not actually breaking it down, utilizing it, and absorbing the amino acids that they need to order in order to have the effects from eating protein. So I wanted to talk about those three topics today because I think that they are vitally important and can help you maybe in this time of like, okay, what's one thing that I want to work on in my life? Um, and diet is obviously usually on the top of the list for everybody. Eating is something that we typically do every single day of our lives. Yes, we do fast and we have periods where we don't eat. You don't have to eat every single day to live, but we're all eating most of the time, if not every day. So understanding kind of how these macronutrients help you, I think is pretty key. The big reason for this that I would put at the very top is because we are an aging society, meaning we have a large population of people that are going to be living a very long life compared to like 100 years ago. So this aging society, we want to combat the things like Alzheimer's, dementias, uh, uh, cognitive disabilities that we see, cancers. Oh, let's see what else are kind of aging diseases that we have. Well, obviously diabetes um, and cardiovascular disease, which kill more people than anything. I mean, cardiovascular disease kills more people in a day. I want to say probably over a thousand people a day die from cardiovascular disease. Um, and when you add that up with COVID, yeah, it's kind of... It's kind of crazy. Um, and most of it is lifestyle and most of it can be, most of it could be avoided. Um, there definitely are genetic variances that people have that predispose them to more cardiovascular disease and or metabolic syndrome. And so they have to be really due diligent and or they have to have a really good medical professional who's taking the right tests and understands some of those genetic factors and is helping with that. But, but most people are just eating standard American diet. They're sitting too much. Um, they are stressed out too much. They have elevated cortisol. They're not sleeping good. They're drinking too much alcohol. And uh, 
they kind of have that hamster wheel in their head. <laughs> and so it's like a perfect mix of uh, cardiovascular disease and or metabolic diseases. So those are kind of the diseases of aging, let's say. Um, as, we, as we age and we live longer, um, one of the things that's really not talked about very much, and I think it should be, um, there's a number of people that I follow on Instagram uh, that talk about it, but probably my, my favorite doc that talks about it is Dr. Gabriel Lyon. Um, she is she calls herself like she's a muscle doctor. So she protein doctor. She, she is in the, in the medicine of, um, um, helping people to age with the appropriate amount of muscle. And the more I listen to her and the more research I've done and the older I get as well too. And, and, and the more I see how I feel when I have more muscle on my body, um, there's no doubt that this is an area that we should really be focusing on as people get older. Now, um, the first place I want to start with this is that when you're younger, um, you have faster turnover rate and you have a, you have more hormone, you, um, your gut may be better. So you're utilizing amino acids better. Maybe those branch chain amino acids or what we call essential amino acids. I'll talk about that in a second. Like you're utilizing those better so you have better mTOR function and you have better muscle repair and recovery than somebody who's older. Um, so what what would that mean? That would mean that people who are younger, they can get by with less protein because they actually utilize that protein better. Um, they also can tend to get away with a more plant-based diet and utilizing the protein from the plant-based diet than an older person can. Um, and they typically, they should be, they should have more lean muscle mass on them than an older person does. But what we've started to see from the many generations now of overconsumption of sugar, poor nutrient-dense food uh, consumption, uh, lots of sedentary lifestyle and massive stress and cortisol, that perceived stress, um, cortisol exacerbation and adrenal function is we're seeing that more and more young people are having more fat deposition, less lean muscle mass, um, and they are also having more effects to their brain. And sometimes we're even seeing some of these, like what we would consider older diseases, we're seeing these in younger people. So cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, uh, metabolic diseases, cancers, uh, and definitely muscle loss. And that's what I want to talk about today. So when you think about that, kind of just thinking about maybe the age groups, how you could look at it as catabolic versus anabolic. Or anabolic would be your building muscle. Anabolic means you are in a state of repair and recovery and you're building. So young people tend to be very anabolic. Older people, like my age, 40s, 50s, 60s, definitely 70s and 80s, um, they tend to be catabolic. So they are breaking their muscle down and they cannot repair it and recover as fast. So they're not building as much. Um, and this is why we would state that a person who's older is going to need more protein than the younger person likely because that older person is going to be more catabolic and slower at building muscle, especially if they're not doing the things in their life outside of diet that they need to be doing um, than the younger person because just by nature, a younger person is more anabolic. They have more growth hormone. They have more sex hormone function. Um, they have more of that muscle in repair. And of course, I'm trying to keep this as like lay person as I can, because there's a lot of podcasts out there that have great science. And I encourage you to, you know, I'm not saying any, like, I just like to keep it kind of simple because this is what I do. I deal with patients all day long. And so keeping it simple helps you to understand it better. So you might actually do it instead of it going over your head. Brian gives me a lot of that, like, okay, it's going over my head now. I'm not interested. So I want to, I want to keep you interested. So we'll take these two age classes. We got the anabolic young people. We got the catabolic older people. Um, one of the things you don't hear a whole lot about is 
protein consumption related to keeping muscle mass as we age. And that is very important, especially for women who are going to go through menopause and they are going to lose estrogen because estrogen is vital for building muscle. It's vital for building bone in women. It's vital for their brains. It's vital for their cardiovascular systems. And so not only do men die of more heart attacks than any other disease of aging, so do women. And when they lose their estrogen, this kind of puts them more into that cardiovascular range. And when you start to have that hormone changes, and then you start to have some bone loss, and let's say that you're like the majority of women prior to menopause, you were never interested in lifting weights. You didn't want to look muscly. Um, you uh, d- didn't really understand that. And you were probably, let's say, maybe eating more of a plant-based diet, not getting enough animal protein and nutrient-dense food. And so now you go through menopause, you struggle, you have a hard time, and it's going to be much harder to put that lean muscle mass on now. Um, because you just don't have the same hormonal function. However, um, the, the, the bigger downfall is as, as, as that woman ages, um, she is going to, the fat that she has on her body, she's going to start basically marbleizing her fat into her muscle tissue. And when that starts to happen, people become very destabilized. And we know that as people get older and they are destabilized and they don't have good strength in their muscles, things like falling happen. So you you probably have a grandparent who is older and they walk with a cane and they're very unstable. And I mean, every time they have to walk down a flight of stairs, you're like crossing their fingers that, you know, they're not going to fall and break something. So this is what tends to happen as we get older and we don't have good lean muscle mass. Because the fat that we have has kind of infiltrated, just like a nice marbleized steak, it has infiltrated our muscle tissue. That makes us weaker. And so this happens in both men and women. Obviously, we know men, they do lose their testosterone and they lose their sex hormones. Their growth hormone goes down. Um, And we also know that as people get older as well, they kind of have this change in their appetite. And so they may not feel hungry as much. They may not be eating as much protein as they need to be, and um, they are, again, becoming very catabolic, and they're not able to keep that lean muscle mass. So the reason I think that protein is so important, and the different areas I'll talk about in a second, is because as you age, the most important thing that, that I'm learning and that I'm learning from these other physicians and stuff is that you need to keep your muscle mass. That is really important. And it's not just to look good, which if you have more muscle mass, you probably look a little bit better. Um, it's not to just totally get rid of fat because we do need a little bit of fat. And women, we definitely need a little bit of fat, especially if you're premenopausal and you're having periods, you need some fat. Um, but it's because as you age and you will age, barring any un, you know, other circumstances that don't get you there is that as you age, you need to keep that lean muscle mass, um, not only for your bones, but for your stability and your muscle repair and recovery, as well as for your brain. Protein is really, really, really important for the brain. And I think the other piece of that is, you know, remember Alzheimer's is also called diabetes type three because there's a lot of dysglycemia that's gone on for a lot of decades and slowly building up and creating inflammation. And so as we age, this is why protein and the right form of protein is so essential and so vital. So what's the right type of protein? Um, I personally believe just from what I've seen, now I have a nutrition undergrad. um, I have gone through periods in my life where I have been vegetarian. Um, not very long because I don't feel very good. I tend to be anemic. That's the the area I tend to go through. So if I stop eating animal products, um, no muscle meats, et cetera, no red meat, I become more anemic, even with iron. It's like, I need to eat some red meat and I definitely need nutrient dense animal products too, like liver, 
um, bone marrow, those kinds of things. I really enjoy those. Now I hate eating liver. So I take a liver supplement and, or like Ryan chops liver up for me. We freeze it and I take it as capsules. So there's ways to take, you can dehydrate it, put it in capsules that way. But liver is amazing, um, for, uh, a nutrient dense food. Now it's not necessarily a lot of protein, but you're getting the, um, the nutrients that you need for, proper protein metabolism. And that's why when people do carnivore and they do these things is they're eating nose to tail typically, not everybody, but a lot of people are. So they're getting those nutrients that they're, um, that they absolutely need. So I think that good grass fed, um, uh, beef, if that's what you're eating, I know that a lot of, I mean, most of you guys out there are hunting. So you're eating ruminants typically, you know, elk, deer, moose, uh, caribou, um, and maybe you're eating some uh, predators like mountain lion and or bear, um, which are, tend to be more fatty. So those can be good. Good People enjoy those if they're not a salmon-fed or a chum-fed bear. But a nice berry-fed bear, that's our favorite in this household. Got to cook it because it's like pork. You can get trichinosis. Got to cook it all the way. Um, but I think the source is really important in making sure that it's healthy, clean meat. It's grass-fed. And hopefully hasn't been subjected to antibiotics and um, hormones and that that kind of stuff. Um, now we're lucky because in this household I have a never-ending supply of fresh, organic, grass-fed meat, um, and I know not everybody has that. And so this is where um, the question comes in. Okay, so if I don't have access to that, and let's say I live in New York City and I can get beef. I always say that if you're going to buy meat, just buy the healthiest that you can. Personally, I think that eating like a steak and or a burger is much better for you than the other options that are out there right now, which would be like the vegetarian options, the Beyond Burger, whatever. I mean, the ingredients that in that are inflammatory, and I mean, come on, like they are, they're just not, they're just not good for you. So I would say get the, the best cuts of meat that you can, um, maybe the leanest cuts of meat. Uh, but the other thing is some of that fat also helps with satiation, helps you not eat as much, etc. So quality is really good. Another really good source for protein, uh, if you can't, if you, if you want to supplement your diet, um, cause I know a lot of people do this, especially if you are exercising and lifting weights and being active is you do need a certain amount of protein. So the numbers would be typically it's one to two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Um, and one would be if you're sedentary two, if you're, you know, normally whatever, two would be if you're active, um, and or you're older. So here comes back into the catabolic stage of your life is that you're going to need more protein to sustain your muscle. So eating less is not a good idea. And this is what a lot of people do. And that's partially too, because a lot of older people, they, their appetites go down and it changes. They don't want to eat as much, etc. So increasing your protein intake um, at that age is really important. Now, one way that you can also increase your uh, protein intake is through something like whey. So the typical um, animal muscle meats would be, you know, beef, wild game, um, muscle meat cuts. Um, and then you're going to have dairy is a protein. Um, I don't eat... We don't eat a ton of dairy in this house. We do a little bit of cream and we do a little bit of cheese once in a while uh, because my kids just don't do very good with dairy and I don't really do good with dairy either. Um, but an option, if you do can do dairy and the proteins in dairy would be whey. And again, you want to get whey that is really clean. Uh, and there's just a lot of ways out there that aren't really clean. And what I mean by that is the ways that I would really recommend are ones that have been pasture, grass-fed cows, pesticide, 
chemical-free, non-GMO, um, and typically those, the best way comes from New Zealand because New Zealand has one of the least polluted environments in the world, and they're milking cows. They're never fed any grain, um, and they're never given hormones or antibiotics. And so that's, if you were going to buy whey, that's what kind of whey I would I would recommend that you do get. Now, it can be a little bit more expensive when you're buying um, the grass-fed whey, but it's definitely worth it, and you're not going to need as much because you don't have the interaction of all the chemicals and all the crap, and and typically, too, um, you probably you might digest it easier um, because a lot of people do have problems with some whey digestion. Um, what I found is that whey is high protein and it's low carbohydrate. Um, some of the protein powders out there, depending on what you're getting, you know, some are built to have more carbohydrate in them and they would be much more specific for, let's say, um, uh, like, uh, CrossFit style or even high intensity workouts or right after that's when you're going to do all your carbs. So maybe a higher carb, concentrated um, protein would be fine. But typically, if you're just trying to get protein into people, um, a good clean protein would be whey. Um, and the reason that whey is so good is because it has one, amino acids and peptides in it, small peptides, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, bioactive peptides. And then it has even smaller molecules, which they don't really go through. They're not supposed to go through the GI tract, but they kind of remain in the GI tract. Um, so let me preface this by a lot of people do have dairy allergy. Some people can't do whey because whey is a milk protein. I'm um, just like some people can't do casein, which is a milk protein. But the important thing to remember here too, and this is kind of for me, the umbrella when it comes to digestibility of any foods is how healthy is your gut. Um, in order for your body to take a protein from a muscle meat, let's say, and break it down, you need good stomach acid. A lot of people have really poor stomach acid. And uh, everybody's on the purple pill and everybody's on an acid blocker. And this is likely because one, people are eating the wrong kinds of foods. They're eating too late at night. They have massive amounts of stress. They are not, they're overweight. <laughs> um, they're drinking too much alcohol. They have inflammation of their stomach. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, I've had some patients who have had lap bands and their stomach is like tiny because they got it, you know, so they don't have any um, hydrochloric acid going on there either. But the the acid reflux and um, heartburn and all those kinds of things, um, there's a lot of that going on. So people medicate with these medications and they do work and they do help, but you're only supposed to do those medications for about two weeks or something, because they really do become addictive. Um, and the recent research is showing that they can cause cancers. And so we're trying to, trying to minimize that by getting people to one, change their diet. Um, maybe you can't do coffee. Maybe you can't do chocolate. Maybe you can't do red wine. Maybe you can't do uh, spicy food. You know, if your stomach's inflamed, all of those foods are going to irritate it. Um, maybe you need to eat a, a more subtle diet and you need um, antioxidants and you need to lose some weight and you need to decrease your stress and <laughs> um, all that kind of stuff. So I just want to preface that, that the gut health is by far the number one thing that that we need to work on in most people who are having any kind of um, either malabsorption or protein digestion issue, etc. Um, definitely gut health is it. And, and I've talked about it a ton on the podcast. We're going to be talking about it more because in the next month or so, Ryan and I kind of have a big announcement, but I can't talk about it right now. But gut health is key. So always think about that first. And um, there are some things that you can do for that with like the gut restoration program, etc. Okay, so let's say, you know, um, you're taking an acid blocker and you're going to eat protein. This is going to be difficult because some of that protein is not going to be broken down as well because you just aren't making as much stomach acid. S 
so that being said, that's one reason. Um, another reason is people are allergic to foods and they're having allergic reactions. So again, if you are allergic to dairy and or whey, this may not be the best option for you because you're going to get an inflammatory reaction and then that's not going to help with the protein breakdown as well. But what typically happens with a protein is a protein needs to be broken down into amino acids as the end result so that you can then absorb amino acids through this um, intestinal wall to be then used for, oh geez, all kinds of things like neurotransmitters and hormones and um, muscle <laughs> um, development, repair and recovery um, for your skin and your hair and your nails and, and all these things that amino acids are really important for. Um, between protein and amino acids, you have what's called peptides. And peptides, peptides are basically amino acid strings and then those are further broken down into amino acids. Um, and so right now there is a big field coming up called peptide therapy. I do work with peptide therapy in my clinic, um, but those are, have to be prescribed through a compounding pharmacy. Um, and I'll probably do a podcast on that here uh, when I talk about hormones. But yeah, peptides are pretty cool. But typically, whey protein is derived from those amino acids, those small peptides. And then there's what's called bioactive peptides, which are like three to 20 amino acids. And they have special physiological signaling roles. Um, and then they're eventually broken down into other amino acids. Um, so within whey, the, some of the amino acids and small peptides um, would be the essential amino acids. So you've, you've got 10 um, non-essentials. That means that you make them in your body then you've got 10 essential amino acids that you have to get either from animal or plant proteins. Um, they are essential for life. You cannot live without them. Um, whey also gives you, and I'm not going to list all those out, but those include like the branch chain amino acids like uh, leucine, isoleucine, uh, valine, tryptophan's in there. And then you also get from whey, you're going to get uh, the cysteine and the methionine. These are sulfur amino acids. And these are precursors to what's called glutathione. And glutathione is very potent antioxidant that our liver actually makes. It supports detoxification um, and um, of things that we take into our body and also of molecules that our body makes synthesizes and needs to get rid of. So it's really important for detoxification. You can get tested to see what your glutathione production is um, and if, if you need to, but cysteine and methionine. Leucine is again one of those branch chain amino acids that we talked about. And leucine is really important because leucine is actually what's going to stimulate mTOR in the muscle for repair and recovery. So if you're not getting enough leucine, you're going to have a hard time in the aging process because building a muscle because you're going to have more muscle loss. Um, and again, this is too why just the branch chains in general, um, they're important, but they're pretty abundant in way. Um, also leucine is good, you know, for fueling your muscles when you exercise. Um, then there's glutamine, which you've probably heard of as well, but glutamine does a lot of stuff. It feeds the enterocytes in the gut. It's like a food for them. Um, it's really important for muscles. It's like a food for muscles. It supports muscle metabolism. It's really important for immunity. Again, most of your immune system's in your gut, so it's helping with that. And it supports acid-alkaline balance. And it's one of the components of glutathione. So back to glutathione, if you don't have enough glutamine, you're kind of missing one of those components of glutathione. It is an, it's a non-essential amino acid, so you can synthesize it from other amino acids. But um, they do add it to a lot of things because they call it a functional amino acid. And it needs to be present in the diet in adequate amounts. So it's non-essential. You, you do make some of it, but you kind of need to take it as well because it creates better function if you have adequate amounts. So you also have these things called bioactive peptides. So when you take in the whey, and you have like in native whey, you have these things like beta-lactoglobulin, and you have alpha-lactoalbumin. Albumin's your main blood protein. Um, what needs to happen to get the bioactive peptide is that whey, the whey protein has to be digested. And then once it's digested, these bioactive peptides are created and they become active. When they become active, they can do things like lower your blood pressure 
because they inhibit the thing we call um, ACE in the body. They have antimicrobial products, which is good for your immune system, right? Especially if we're talking about like bacteria and viruses and fighting things in the gut. And so that in turn is helping immune function. So those bioactive peptides, but you have to get the way in and kind of get it digested. Then you get the bioactive peptide and that's what they do. And then you have smaller molecules that have very specific effects that come from way like the albumin, your main blood protein, immunoglobulins for your gut, um, lactoferrin, which actually lactoferrin right now is being talked about a lot with the immune system and um, of which you find in like colostrum, which is the first part of the milk uh, from the mother that has a ton of all those immune cells and they're really important. It's being talked a lot about right now, especially with COVID as well. Um, insulin growth factor and um, these things typically are preserved as they go through the gut. So they're not necessarily broken down, but, um, the things they do is they do, um, like they create antibodies. So immunoglobulins. So you have your IgGs and your IgMs and they bind and inactivate bacteria, which obviously is really important in your GI tract because think of all the things you eat that probably have bacteria on them. And if, if you didn't have good immune function, in your gut, you would just be having like food poisoning all the time and you would be having a lot of GI problems. So again, this is why a strong immune system is a strong gut. And these immunoglobulins are helping you to inactivate these bacteria that you're exposed to. Then you have one called, I think it's called glycomacropeptide. And it's a stimulator of what we call cholecystokinin, which suppresses appetite. So this is why if you do drink some whey, you have a protein shake, it helps to kind of satiate appetite. Um, and it also, they've shown that cholera toxin, like it's, it can bind to cholera toxin and help you um, not actually get the effects. It inhibits the cholera toxin. So that's one thing. And then the lactoferrin, which I just, I just talked about, um, it is a... Lactoferrin is basically how you transport metals in your body, um, like iron, zinc, copper, um, manganese. And it's very essential, especially in the newborns. And that's why it's in the colostrum. And not only that, it, it can help you fight like gram-negative bacteria, gram-positive bacteria, and H. pylori, which is a big reason that a lot of people have stomach issues because they actually have a bacteria called H. pylori, um, which you can also get tested two, for too if you have a history of ulcer. Um, it has fungus activities and can help you fight candida, which is yeast, um, and it inhibits replication of viruses in the early phase. So I think today I heard 35% of people that get COVID, and I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but they have GI symptoms. So we, we have known as clinicians that some patients present with GI. So they get nausea, diarrhea, some can get vomiting. And that kind of comes along with the beginning stages of fever. And they're starting to show now that people that have the GI symptoms, they tend to have worse outcomes. And this is just because of the way that the coronavirus attaches and in the lungs, etc. But they're doing stool tests, and they can actually see the corona. Uh, you can see it in the find it in the stool before the person actually has respiratory symptoms, and then it can last in the stool for a couple of weeks after. So this is another way that corona is showing up in the body. It is in the stool. And so people that are having the GI problems, they may have worse outcome. So this is where lactoferrin is coming in. And they're thinking like people that maybe colostrum and lactoferrin this way, et cetera, can help with that because it decreases anti-inflammatory activity. It binds to these viruses, helps you to eliminate it. So I mean, whey sounds like a perfect product, right? Because it does so many things. It's basically, you know, working and helping you get enough protein because you're getting those amino acids, you're getting those bioactive peptides, you're getting these immune cells and these immunoglobulins that you need to fight bacteria and fight viruses and fight things like H. pylori. It's also been shown to heal the gut lining. Um, and it does glutathione synthesis. And it has, again, anti-inflammatory activities. It decreases your appetite and it can improve your blood pressure. Now, wow, 
why would not everybody be drinking whey? Well, again, some people can't because they don't have good either gut, gut ish. They've got ma- massive gut issues. They've got a dairy allergy. They have a clinically whey allergy. They can't do it. Every time they drink whey, they don't get these great benefits. They feel sick or they have gastrointestinal issues or they just have a weak immune system. And so um, they're not able to process it. But what I find is that the type of whey is super important. This is back to what I started in the beginning that clean, good, grass-fed, organic way or, you know, non-GMO, non-pesticide, non-antibiotic way is really important. So when you're looking for a way, that's what I look for. Um, And so besides all the total GI symptoms, the systemic, the immunity, it can also help with bone health. Um, So whey is another great product. And and so when when I'm talking about whey, it's giving you all these great amino acids. Meat is doing the same thing. Muscle meat is giving you all these same benefits as well. The problem is, is can you break them down? Um, is your gut working good enough? Do you have hydrochloric acid? Hydrochloric acid needs to cleave proteins into peptides and then into amino acids. And like whey, especially when you're just buying whey, whey protein drink, it's already broken down for you. So you don't have to take the protein and then break it down into all these small pieces. It's already there. You already have the amino acids and the bioactive peptides. So this can be a good option for older people who either one don't have, you know, they're not getting enough protein in and or people, bodybuilders, et cetera, that um, are needing an, an extra source of protein because let's get back to how much protein you need. If, if you're a bodybuilder and you weigh 250 pounds and you have to do two pounds, you have to do two grams of, um, let's see, two grams, 225 pounds is how many kilograms? I'm just going to Googleize this right now because that's 102 so double that if you're bodybuilding, you probably need closer to two grams per that. So that's 204 grams of protein a day. Um, the typical steak probably has, I don't know, um, probably in a meal with a steak, you can maybe get upwards of 30 grams of protein, maybe 20 to 30 grams of protein. But, you know, this is why these guys are eating five to six times a day. They're drinking shakes, that thing. So one-way shake may have 20 to 30 grams of protein in it. So you can have a couple of those per day. Most of these guys are putting two things in, so they're probably doing 40. You know, in my case, I obviously weigh a lot less, and I'm not going to need as much protein. Um, Let's see, I'm 125 pounds, and so I'm only going to need about 60, eh, around 60, no, if I'm bodybuilding, I need closer to 120. So I can have a couple shakes a day and a couple good meals, and I'd be great. Or I can have three good meals. Now, here's the deal. You can get what's called protein saturation. You, you want to be able to split your protein up, whether it's two meals, three meals, um, or five meals. Now, some people are doing OMAD, and they are eating in like a two-hour window, let's say, but they're kind of spreading it out and or, you know, they're not eating it all at once. But that can be a little trickier, but it does work, and it just depends on the person. But typically, we'd want to see, like for me, I need to eat about 20 to 30 um, uh, grams of protein at each meal, and that way I'm going to better be able to utilize it. Um, for building muscle. Now, if I needed to eat all 120 grams of protein, if I was doing OMAD, which is one meal a day, um, I would probably need to split that up into 60, you know, 50 to 60 milligrams in an hour and that. There's way better people that know OMAD than me, like uh, Dr. Deanna Mutzel, like our friend Mike Mutzel and his wife, they do. She does OMAD. She's great at it. And she has an entire OMAD program on their website at High Intensity Health. You can go get highly recommended if you want to do OMAD. But um, yeah, typically you'd want to spread that protein out so you can actually break it down and utilize it. The other thing is, is there's a theory, and I'm forgetting what it is right now, but there's a theory that the more protein you ate, it's like a, it's like a protein satiation level. And I can't believe I can't remember what it's called right now. But like, if you're going to eat protein, 
if you get, if you eat enough protein to get you to this, you're satiated with your protein, you will eat less carbohydrate. So if you don't eat enough protein in a meal, your body will want you to keep eating. So let's say until you feel satiated, I guess is what I mean to say. So if you have enough protein in a meal, you will typically get satiated and you will not have the desire to keep eating, especially carbohydrate. But let's say you're only eating carbohydrate and you're not getting enough protein in a meal and or fat, which is part of that meal as well, is that you will continue to eat because your body is not getting to the threshold that it needs for the brain for that protein for that signal to shut off. And so you will continue to eat. And I think that this is the big reason that a lot of people are gaining weight they're having leptin resistance, they're not getting the signal to shut off. And so they are gaining weight from that because they're overeating. And it's because they're eating too many carbs, and they're not getting that protein threshold. So they haven't figured out their macros, and they're not getting enough protein per meal to, to make them feel full. And so they continue to eat. Um, and this is like the simple experiment of if you eat a steak for dinner, or you eat a salad for dinner, Typically, most people who eat the steak for dinner, they will not want dessert. If the person who had the salad for dinner, they will almost always want the dessert. Uh, and that's because, again, you have not reached that pro protein threshold. And typically, what your body's going to start create craving is, for some reason, carbohydrate. All that being said, the type of protein is really important. How much protein you're getting uh, is really important. And then, of course, the sources where you're getting it from is important. All right. Um, let's see. What else could I touch on here about protein? Oh, yeah. Okay. So as we get older, um, we need more protein. Now, this is very specific to, again, are you trying to build muscle? Um, are you, do you have specific dietary concerns or do you have special, do you have um, health conditions, etc.? Um, as people get older um, and they start to have diseases of aging, it's important that we're eating the right type of protein, the right type of fat, and if carbohydrate, the right type of carbohydrate. Typically what people want to do is they want to mix carbohydrates and fats that aren't that great together. This can help us gain weight and it can also um, increase inflammation in the body. Protein can also create inflammation. If you're eating too much of it, you're going to go over the protein threshold and you're going to turn it into carbohydrate anyways. Um, but this is also why a lot of people are carnivore. They don't eat any carbohydrate. They just eat meat and or animal products. Um, and they're fine. And that's because they're getting some carbohydrate. And it's very unlikely that you're eating any animal product where you're not getting any fat. So you're getting the fat in there, you're getting the protein in there, and then you probably are converting a little bit of that to carbohydrate to glucose. But I mean, I've been hearing lately some amazing stories from people doing carnivore and they're curing their autoimmune disease. They're losing weight like crazy. Um, their skin improves, everything. And you can monitor that with blood work and you can monitor that with, you know, looking at their kidney function, et cetera. And I've yet to see any of my carnivore patients have a kidney issue. Um, I think that the other thing with that is, it's just body type and it's it's what you can do and what you feel comfortable with. Some people genetically are just built to process carbohydrate better. So they do need some complex carbohydrate and they feel better at that. Um, but when I say complex carbohydrate, remember I'm not talking about donuts and pastries and mochas from Starbucks and uh, Mountain Dew. <laughs> I'm talking about like complex vegetables, to not tons of starchy um, potatoes and rice. Um, you're kind of keeping your grains low. If you're, if you're eating any grain, you're eating whole grain, uh, and some minimal fruit or whatnot. So no, like fruit juices and all that kind of stuff that everybody wants to eat. But I think that nowadays, if you're listening to this podcast, I feel like most people are smart about carbohydrates and they understand that, but I don't think people understand the importance of protein and why the, why as you age, you're going to need more protein. Now there, there are some, um, there, there are s some objections to this and that if you're older and you have kidney disease, 
yeah, high protein diet is not great for you because the kidney is not filtering well. And if you're eating a ton of protein, that puts a lot of pressure on the kidney um, if you already have kidney disease. So there's this also this misconception that if you eat too much protein, that you will get kidney disease. Um, I'm sure that can happen. But what I've seen is that if, if you're eating ample protein, you're not, you know, but even carnivores, they're not having they're not having um, kidney damage going on. So I think it's already kidney damage that's been happening for a long time. And if you're overeating too much protein, that can put stress on the kidney. But let's say you've gone through kidney disease, you've lost your kidney and or both your kidneys and you've lost both your kidneys and you have to go on dialysis. Now you don't even have a kidney filtering anything. So now you're just going to be filtering all your protein with your dialysis and you're going to be in a world of hurt. So you have to increase your protein. So that would be another group of people that have to quite considerably increase their protein because they're going to lose a lot of it when they get their dialysis. Whether um, and, and so kidney disease does change protein intake, etc. cetera. Um, and this all being said, I am told I'm not against vegetarian diets. I'm not against plant proteins. And yes, you can get protein from plants. Um, and I'm only talking about here in the sense of meat because I think that one, this is a hunting community. You guys are eating meat. Most of you are eating meat. Um, but you have to understand like the meat, how important the meat is, but also the balance of that. And the other thing I think too that a lot of hunters miss is that they're not eating the nutrient dense pieces. So they're not harvesting the organs. Um, they're maybe not harvesting bones. You're not making bone broth. You're not doing bone marrow. Those are all complementary and really important to be getting the nutrients like the folates and the B vitamins and the good fats and all those immune cells that, that are in those um, other products, those nutrient products to help your teeth and your bones and your hair and your brain and, and your hormones and all that. So I just highly encourage that hunters think more about that. Um, and then uh, for people that are not eating meat and they are vegetarian, like you have to be really smart about your protein intake and making sure that if you want to keep a good muscle on, you got to have enough protein intake. And now there are people doing it that can build muscle on plant proteins. Um, but typically it's much harder to do and you have to be really educated. Most vegetarians that I know are typically not trying to build a lot of muscle. And unfortunately, a lot of them are kind of skinny fat. Now, that being said, age has a lot to do with that as well. So the younger people can actually utilize plant proteins better from the plant than us older people can. And that again is back to kind of the concept where Dr. Gabriel Lyon has talked about this, where older people, and I put myself in the older clan because I'm like over 40, um, we need we do better with more animal protein. Maybe those younger people can get away with that plant protein, but as they age, they're going to have a harder time keeping that. So the bigger picture of this is that as you get older and you have diseases of aging, um, we want to think about how can we keep good lean muscle mass um, and how can we make sure you're getting enough of those amino acids for your brain and so you don't slide into the cognitive issues and also to keep inflammation down because inflammation is the killer it is of everything. It is like the start of all these diseases. Now we can talk about lipids and how um, animal products increase lipids and they can increase lipids. Uh, but typically what I see as people get older with their lipids as one, they've been eating the wrong kinds of animal proteins. They don't have a good immune systems. Their guts are a total wreck. Uh, and they may have a genetic factors. Cholesterol is made in your body. Cholesterol is absorbed from your food. Some people make more cholesterol. Some people absorb more from their food. And um, the one thing we also don't talk about much because we're so used to everybody having high cholesterol is low cholesterol. There's a happy place with cholesterol. And if your cholesterol is too low, you're going to have a harder time as you get older with cognitive function 
and um, you need cholesterol because cholesterol is the building block for like every single cell membrane in your body. I mean, your brain is mostly fat, so you need cholesterol. So you don't want your cholesterol too low. Obviously, who knows? The research is showing that even high LDLs right now, as long as your HDLs are high, that that can be protective as well. But standard of care in cardiovascular medicine is that if your total cholesterol is over 200 and your LDLs are over 100, you could be a candidate for statin therapy. And statins have been shown in the short term to help because they decrease inflammation and they can um, help with cholesterol coming down. But over time, they starve the body of cholesterol and therefore cognitive issues. Um, And statins do have side effects as well. So cholesterol is one of those things I think that um, can be very uh, specific to the age. It can be very specific to genetics. It's very specific to the diet. And making sure you're getting the right cholesterols and the right fat. That's why I love eggs. I mean, eggs are like the perfect food. But some people can't do eggs either. Like both my kids hate eggs. And I think it gives them stomach aches. But we have eggs and we have chickens and we hide it and stuff. They don't seem to complain. So Ryan thinks that that's kind of bogus. But but eggs are a perfect food for cholesterol and getting that in. Um, so that's another great protein source is eggs. Um, the Another great protein source is omega-3 rich protein animal products like salmon, sardines, herring, um, yeah, anything like that, fish oil, uh, krill oil, anything where you're getting good omega-3s because omega-3s are part of that like inflammatory thing. The more omega-3 you eat, you're hopefully going to have those inflammatory prostaglandins decrease. It's going to help with that. So, your vessels and etc. are not inflamed inside. Therefore, the cholesterol is not going to have the propensity to stick to the walls because cholesterol is doing its job. Cholesterol needs to stick to things in order to block up holes. It's like the putty in your wall. You punch a hole through the wall, you got to put putty in there. That's what cholesterol is doing. Obviously, there's more inflammatory cholesterols and there's definitely genetic risk for cholesterol and inflammation. Again, that's why you should get regular checkups. And you should have lipid or even a lipid fractionation panel as part of that, especially if you have any family history of cardiovascular disease, et cetera. But people always ask about that, like, oh, my cholesterol is going to go up. And I'm like, well, first of all, we need to see what your ratios are. Second of all, we need to decrease any inflammation in the body, which starts in the gut. So we need to work on the gut. Um, And then we definitely need to work on diet. And are you even getting enough protein? Can you blame this on animal products? Um, If you're just eating a bunch of milk and cheese all day and, I don't know, bread and um, fat French fries and McDonald's hamburgers and Mountain Dews, yeah, that is not good for inflammation. That's not good for cholesterol. That's not good for any of that. And remember, triglycerides, which are one of your cholesterols, that typically goes up because you're eating too many carbohydrates and drinking too much alcohol. So... I can tell if a person's like, no, I never eat sugar and their triglycerides super high. I'm like, yeah, unless it's genetic, but typically it's from lifestyle. So we always think of that and inflammation is always the bigger thing, but getting enough protein as we age is really important. So one thing that I love about Dr. Gabriel Lyons, she always says is that we are under muscled. We are not too fat. We are under muscled. And that's what I hope that you guys get from this podcast today is one, start looking at your protein sources, start making sure you're getting enough protein for your weight. And as you start to lose weight, you can decrease your protein. But remember, muscle weighs more than fat. So typically women, especially, you're going to gain some muscle, you're going to lose some fat, but you're probably going to gain some weight. So, um, but making sure you're getting enough good quality protein, making sure you're getting more of the nutrient dense foods, either from nose to tail, and hunters, you guys are utilizing those more because you have like a you have like a pharmacopoeia, which is like you have like a medicine cabinet in those animals you're bringing home. So I just encourage you to use more of them. Um, and then thinking about how can you improve that muscle metabolism, um, not just rest, not just rec- you know muscle recovery and repair, which is why you need those amino acids and etc. But breaking down the muscle, which means exercise. So you do need to lift stuff and you need to 
um, put stress into the muscle. So that's going to be the next podcast for the pillars that we're going to talk about, which is exercise. Um, and kind of tie that in to this whole protein thing. But and the other last thing I want to say is, um, obviously, when we get into exercise, the type of exercise you're doing too, is going to obviously dictate how much carbohydrate you need. But protein is pretty much essential for all exercise. And if you want to look better, you want to feel younger, you want you want to have more muscle, because I'll just use me for an example. I'm a perfect candidate for osteoporosis. My great-grandmother had horrible osteoporosis. I remember when I was in high school, she was like 90-something. She was bent over like all the way, tiny little thing. She had horrible osteoporosis. So I am a skinny white girl, and if I just let myself go and I don't keep enough muscle mass on my body, as I get older, my genetic propensity is going to be like her. And osteoporosis is way more dangerous because one, I'm now losing mass in the bone and my muscles are not like robust. I've now, even though I'm skinny, um, I have this marbleization of fat into my muscle tissue and now I'm, my bones are weak. Um, they start to change. So that whole hunched over forward thing that you see with osteoporosis patients, like if you don't have good lean muscle mass, you can't control if you fall and you hit, you're going to break something, etc. So that lean muscle mass is really important. Not only that, I have a lot of degenerative disease in my family, cognitive issues. So I want to make sure that I'm getting enough amino acids. Um, I'm getting enough of those good fats and I'm keeping enough muscle on my body so that I can have a better metabolism, which keeps my blood sugar down, keeps dysglycemia down because I also have the tendency to become like hypo, hypoglycemic if I don't eat enough food. So in my case, I found that if I do carbohydrate and I make sure I'm eating enough protein and I'm lifting weights, that helps me to keep that. So this is my goal as I age because I mean, we all want to live a long, good quality of life. Coronavirus or not, you're going to be in your body. So, you, you know, using excuses as to why you can't do something or, oh, I'm stressed out now or I lost my job now and I can't exercise now and I can't eat now. If you hunt and you have a freezer full of meat, you don't need that much else. If you can have access to some good fat, if you harvested those bones, if you have bones, cut them up, cook them up, make bone broth, um, or go to lonelife.com, get some bone broth that, you know, they help support our podcast. You have a lot right there that you, you don't need all the tons of carbs. You don't need all the bread and we have access to them, but you don't necessarily need that. So if you have meat in your freezer and you have those things, you right there have it. And then I don't know, just start doing some pushups or something like just move, just move your body. And um, we'll talk about exercise in the next one, but you can do this. And there's no reason that even in a time of stress right now that you can't be focusing in on your health. Because the truth is, stress will break you down more than anything. Cortisol is like great for that immediate, like, I need to run from the bear. But over time, it's bad for your hormones. It's bad for your bones. It's bad for your cardiovascular system to have in high amounts. We need it. It's part of who we are. But I just, I just recommend that everybody think about right now in this time of massive stress, and we don't know what's going to happen. We, they can't even tell us like when we're going to get out of quarantine. The date changes every day. You know what? You have the days. Do what you need to do. Take that time for yourself. Think more about your food. Make sure you're getting enough protein so you can sleep and your brain works well. And who knows? This might be the perfect time for you to do those things that you weren't doing before. So Anyways, okay, everybody, that is my pillar of health on protein. Take care out there in this crazy world. Signing off. Bye. The Stealthy Hunter website and the Hunt Harvest Health podcast is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your own health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider.